Today, the label artist is a prison I have escaped to do what I do, building words letter by letter. Blazing a trail, the sweep of life noted obliquely, refracted through mind and matter, the debris of art urges me along the way. Some inner ten-year-old directing me to play, make a world match the bounded joy. Hi, I'm Matt McKee, and welcome to Cherry Bomb the Podcast, a series of conversations with people about food, art, and sustainability. Today, I'm speaking over Zoom with internationally collected contemporary sculptor Patrick Pierce. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, I'm glad to be here, and uh, nice to uh, have a chance to talk. Absolutely, absolutely. I had the pleasure to tour your art farm this past summer and see firsthand your body of work that involves steel, wood, paint, welding, fabrication, and so much more. I walked away thinking that I would describe your work as poetic abstraction in materials. But then I saw the tagline on your website, which will be linked in the show notes, as free-range sculpture crafted in Maine, salvaged from time. And I was wondering if you could expound upon that a little bit. <laughs> well, salvaged from time, it's interesting. I'm, I think since I moved up here to Maine from a white box studio kind of space, I had very gleaming pieces put out into the world and time started working on them. So I, I feel like whatever survives is salvaged from time. I use a lot of old materials. I refurbish them, recut them, polish them, brighten them, liberate them into a new aesthetic structure. Then I put them out in the field, and time starts trying to reclaim them. So it's, it's a dialogue of, uh, you think it wants to be shiny? Well, let me tell you about iron. <laughs> time eats iron. Rust is its uh, visible sign, and that's where it, the balance it arrives at. Absolutely. So I've been working towards uh, accommodating my own understanding of wabi-sabi, which is a dialogue with, after things are knocked around and beat up a bit, they sort of arrive at a timeless state. And I've come to realize I sometimes like that better than the gleaming artifact which issues from my own hand. For instance, I had a piece a couple of years ago carved out of butternut that was all gleaming and it was wood and then granite and some rope around it. And I left it out mm -hmm. for three or four seasons and it weathered and turned black and it looked wretched. I brought it in, repolished it, but it looked so much better than it did the first time it went out into the world. It was like nature had worked on it. The cracks and faults inherent in the material became more pronounced. And so I worked with those and it felt like a more stable, long-lasting and truer artifact. So you're working in collaboration basically with the natural processes that as they're aging, as they're changing materials, you're going back in and reasserting your will upon it to a certain extent. But at the same time, the natural processes are going to do what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, certain pieces of work have taken me 21 years to complete. <laughs> because you know, all the work is one. Nothing is ever uh, really 
over. Yes. I lived in Lowell for a bunch of years, and when I moved up to Maine, I left a few pieces in a warehouse. They were copper and steel and mixed metal, and some crackheads broke into the warehouse and cut all the copper off the steel. This was when they were cutting it up, the downspouts off churches. And yep. so I brought those pieces up and I redid them. And I have this one piece called Dialogue with Crackhead, which I like better <laughs> than it was before. Wow. Okay. So there's, there's, it seems like there's a certain improv that is taking place in this dialogue as well, where, where things happen and you react to them and then change your change your final output absolutely i mean another tagline or way i understand my work is visible jazz it's improvisatory and i often Mm. i don't know where it's headed i don't know you, you know there's some main chord structures there's some main forms but where it really wants to go i don't know sometimes i'm even at a place where this is ugly. I don't like what's happening, but I know with what I've got here, this has to happen. So I persist, and uh, I arrive at a place I hadn't anticipated. That's hmm. that's why the, the the practice of art is is a path of discovery. I find what I did not know I knew. It's it's biopsychic feedback telling me through materials something that my brain hadn't quite understood yet, but my whole body and way of being knew, and it directed me. When did you first discover yourself as an artist? I I, I never know quite how to ask the origin question, because, you know, some people feel that they were always an artist. Some people feel that they came to it suddenly or had an epiphanous moment. It's, uh, it's, that's a, it's a rich it's a rich, layered question. Certainly, growing up in Oregon and spending a lot of time on the coast, uh, I had my mind blown about age four by the immensity of the cosmos, the freshness and vigor of of the Pacific. Just there was nothing that humankind could offer that touched my experience of of, of the cosmic thrust of nature. Mm. So at four, I. I had a very strong nature feeling, but, you know, it's Oregon and a long time ago. So, you know, art, I didn't even know what art was. So that as an option didn't really, I just was who I was. So it's probably after college. I mean, during college, I studied poetry. My first real impulse towards the creative was, was verbally. So I studied literature and literary analysis in college, which made me very thinky, <laughs> not very visual necessarily. Okay, yeah. So after college, I went to uh, New York and I met a painter who introduced me to LSD. And so we went to the Museum of Modern Art. That was a real life-altering experience in that from my very intellectual place about what artists do and what they are and what it is, I saw behind the screen the the state of being out of which art emerged. It probably took me 20 years of practice to assimilate and integrate that perception into my ability to manifest what my experience was. 
Yeah, it, it always feels like we're trying to evolve towards something that we cannot define yeah. in our heads. At least that's the way I feel as an artist as well. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, on this in this vein, you know, Albert Camus uh, said, a man's work is nothing but this slow trek through the detours of art to find those two or three great and simple images in whose presence his heart first opened. That is that is a wonderful quote, and I, I feel that is true. I, I often feel when I when I go back to the well myself that I go back to a concept that I've been working on for decades. Yeah, just to try to get you know, it's about light for me as a photographer. It's about light, so I'm always going back to looking at light. I'm always going back to that base well to start off with and I'm, I find at the end of the process I may have recreated something that I was trying to do before but now I've done it different and hopefully better or yeah a variation on the same moment mm-hmm. with a slightly different perspective my sense of our our growing perceptions is is sort of like a spiral we uh, we come around to the same point again but we're at a different maybe more evolved perspective on it. Oh, perspective is everything. And as our perspective changes, so does our work as it refines itself. One of the questions that uh, always occurs to me at this point is, what is the definition of art? I think... No small question, I know. No, I mean, right. I think it's badly... uh, People talk about making art, and I think that's a hideous uh, misstatement. Uh, One Mm. doesn't make art. One doesn't make... You make sausage, but you don't make art. I think art is the inner spiritual, psychic power by which things are made. What we call art are artifacts, which are the product of art, but art stays in the artist, and by that power artifacts emerge. Oh, okay. So art is the process, not the end result. For me, it, it's like a, a, a latent protean power, because I think most artists are, are multi, multiplex. Mm-hmm. It, that, that protean creative impetus at our center uh, has, in many cases, multiple doors of expression, music or dance or words or painting. I mean, some people are very monofocused, I agree. But um, I, I think our, our human nature is like 50-50 synthesistic and analytical. I mean, we're both okay. the associative and that which brings together. And then the other hemisphere of the brain analyzes, takes apart, and finds way to make power. I think in my own terms, um, I've worked both with both. Uh, my sculpture often is working with analytical edge geometric forms and then embodied in a sweeping continuum of associative power. I I sometimes feel like the sculpture is a a diagram of a dance. Oh, wow. And so so a lot of what the sculpture is about is invisible. These are almost like a map of turning points or relationships among elements. The visual object is... Yeah, it's like a dance notation. Okay, okay. Which I always was fascinated with because how do you take a three-dimensional, a four-dimensional medium and then write it down in... Exactly. And also you combine in these wonderful ways both natural materials like rock and, and wood and 
things like that. And then you combine them with structural materials like steel and iron and rope and, and things like that. So you're combining both sides again, where the natural chaotic process of nature is combined with the more structural analytical side, if you will, more measured side of human created product. As a sculptor, I find the engineering steps in actually making things come together and work is is a fascinating piece. Mm. And that dictates what happens, how things look. Sometimes I'm forced to make a choice that I might not have made if I were strictly working on visual uh, criteria. But it has to have structural criteria, which (laughs) sometimes... Okay, that's an obstacle, but then it becomes an opportunity because yep. a new thing can happen. You yep. know, this piece behind me, which nobody else can see, is, you know, it's a packing crate, plexiglass, burnt feed sack, uh, melted steel, oil paint. It was a, a great time finding ways for those all to come together. And, and why they had to come together was uh, there was some printing on the, uh, the packing crate. And I had the plexiglass, and I had just been to Sicily, so this is called Sicilian landscape. So the necessity of the work comes out of my life. It's, mm. I could say, all the work that I have is is one work. Okay. Yeah. It's a documentation of my being. Okay. Including the elements. I mean, there's there's a story about every single sculpture, and in many cases, there's a story about each of the elements in the sculpture. I mean that this is sad, but it's kind of my ob- <laughs> this is my ob- my obsession. We do obsess obsess about the minutia that of each piece that goes in, but the then ev- I always tell my clients that every picture tells a story, and it's up to us how we interpret it. The artist has a certain way they want to uh, interpret it, and that's the story they're telling. But the audience is going to come with a different message, perhaps, because of their background. Absolutely as valid. You know, it's just, this whole life in the practice of art has has just been, I think I've said it before, has been both my keel keeping me steady and the sail that keeps me going. It's, mm. it's given me a way to orient towards a, a man world that I don't have a, a lot of love or respect for culturally. The, the values of I win, you lose, I'm cool, you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. The, the kind of attitudes that are proliferating, I think through the practice of art, I wanted to create value, and I didn't want to be at a place where my achievement was at someone else's expense. Mm. I, also, I also didn't want to take, oh, here's my heart, warm gut product, love it. I didn't want to be in a place where I was having to immediately go to sell work and put it out there and say, hey, look at me, my stuff is great. Because I really have wanted throughout my many years to be true to the voice that is speaking through me. I'm a songbird in a chorus. I'm putting out one true note. And I want that note to be as true and clear as I can make it without other considerations. What is your personal philosophy what what drives you to create you get up in the morning you go out to the workshop or the studio and what is driving you to do that when i was much younger it was a a relentless need to do something meaningful and 
meaningful mm-hmm. in my own terms. So the practice of art, as I sort of have structured it, is playing by my own rules. And this, the center rule is to be as true as possible to what wants to happen and to trust the impulse, even if I didn't fully understand what the moment seemed to call for. Hmm. It, it's like... It's it's a response to being alive. Okay. It's it's the it's the only way I really feel like I give back to this incredibly beautiful, bountiful universe, this world that that we inhabit. I mean, it's, it's an alternative to going to church and praying, I suppose. What do you wish you knew when you started? Uh, that's that one has me dumbfounded. I uh, I don't know. I think I valued every step, both the painful and, uh, yeah, my path has been, uh, my God, I mean, as everybody have a life story. Uh, No, it's it's been just a pain, I was going to say painful at times, but also an ecstatically joyous sequence of moments that has kept me going. So when Mm. a really maybe a, a troubling piece has finally come together, there's, a, there's a, an absolute certainty that this is right. This is, this is it all clicks. I, I had one piece that a few years ago uh, called This Way Through, steel and a, and a branch carved and then uh, forms working around it. And it was almost there and it wasn't quite right. And I found one kind of beautiful bronze circular element and I had put that in the middle and suddenly the entire circuitry of the piece started moving. And it was, hmm. by God, I mean, this, this it, it was like, you know, <laughs> oh, it, I turned it on. Uh, I mean, nothing moved, you know, it, it, but yeah, the whole piece clicked. So those discoveries are... Uh, yeah, they're like a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. They're they're true, and you know it. Regardless of who sees it, what happens to it, that's that's a victory. That's an aesthetic victory that no one can convince me is not nature working through me at this nice, true moment. That's fascinating. Over the course of doing these interviews, when I ask that particular question, it always kind of breaks down to one of two things. Some people are looking for that moment where they wished they had known that everything was going to be okay, or they wished that uh, someone had come along and, and said, you know, you should get into ball bearings or whatever. <laughs> um, and then there's other people who their perspective on it is that this whole thing is a process, a continuum as we go along, that I could not be who I am now if it weren't mm-hmm. for what I went through before. What would you like your legacy to be, assuming you think about the legacy? Oh, yes. As you can see, I'm a north of 60 <laughs> here. So, uh, my God, I've, it's another one that sort of staggers me. Uh, no note not meant. No note not meant. Oh, wow. I guess that's an epitaph. But um, I'd like the work to help as many people as possible to awaken certain okay. Uh, sensitive energies in the presence of the work. I think okay. I think the sculptures create energy fields that are not immediately, uh, they're not emojis. They aren't instantly recognizable as anything. They're closer to you're walking in the woods and you come to a rocky cliff face and there's vines and there's patterns and it's it's very beautiful. But 
you have to open yourself a little bit and quiet within to see what's going on. And I feel the work I've done is always very much in dialogue with larger nature. At the same time I'm saying this, I'm immediately thinking of, you know, that uh, Picasso bicycle seat and bull's head, mm-hmm. the, the Taurus. Uh, and he said, you know, I picked this out of the trash heap. It, it's up for a while. Could end up back in the trash heap. Uh, I, I don't know. And I, I don't worry about that. I, I, I guess I really feel like my whole life has been a vibration and an attempt to resonate truly with the forces in the universe that I really revere. Speaking of that, where can people see your art in person? Around the Boston area, I have a bunch of work with the uh, Powers Gallery in Acton down in uh, Newport. I have a bunch of work at the Jessica Hagen Fine Art Gallery. And up in uh, Deer Isle, Maine, I have some work with the Turtle Gallery. And then here at 98 Hearn Road in North Saco, Maine, I have more work than you can assimilate. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That was was a beautiful experience. I, I walked away from that and then got back in the car with my wife and uh she after about a half hour she said okay you can stop talking about art for a little while um it was just it was a great experience oh thank you my last question for you the question i ask everybody at the end of the day it is the end of the day you've worked in your workshop or in the studio or or uh wherever and uh you're sitting down to relax what is your comfort food um well i liquid bread I eat a good, nice uh, dark beer is uh, good. Maybe uh, (laughs) some hummus and uh, flatbread and cheese and olives, something like that. Just something to relax with. That's wonderful. Yeah, a little protein and oil hit and uh, sets me up. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, is there anything that we have not covered that you want to talk about today, Patrick? Well, I had had one piece. Uh, It's a poem. It might encapsulate some, and we can eat, you can okay. delete, but today, the label artist is a prison I have escaped to do what I do, building words letter by letter, blazing a trail, the sweep of life noted obliquely, refracted through mind and matter, the debris of art urges me along the way, some inner ten-year-old directing me to play, Make a world match the bounded joy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cherry Bomb the Podcast. I'm your host, Matt McKee, and today I was speaking with Patrick Pierce, an abstract sculptor based in Maine. As always, links to their website and social media can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Just click on the link for Cherry Bomb the Podcast. And I am also available on Twitter for questions and comments at McKeePhoto. This episode of Cherry Bomb the Podcast could not have been done without the help of Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts, the specialist in coaching for creatives. Thanks for listening, and let's start the conversation. Just a really quick note before your auto feed refreshes to the next episode in your queue. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe you picked up a new tip or a concept, there are a couple ways you can help us keep creating it. Click on the link at the bottom of the show notes for buymeacoffee.com slash Matt McKee. Coffee is life around here. 
Also in the show notes is a link to theartofmattmckee.com where you can browse art from my Sweet Blast, Promethean Dreams, and Tool series of portfolios, as well as others. Get some art for that special someone in your life. And if that special someone is you, don't feel guilty. It should go without saying, you deserve nice things too. And last but certainly not least, share this episode with your friends on social media. Let them know you enjoyed it. And then you can start your own conversation.